Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Amen. Hey, uh, you should have a a worksheet, a a follow-along, fill-in-the-blank homework sheet. I'm not going to call it homework, right? Hey, Regent, if you don't have one... um, can we, if, raise your hand if you, if you don't have one. There's, there's a couple right here. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Loper. Thank you, thank you. Awesome. Well, for those that don't know, we're in a series looking at the 10 keys of the abundant life, to the abundant life, right? Who doesn't want to live a life of abundance and to thrive? No one doesn't want that. Everybody wants that. Who doesn't want to be happy and, and ethical in all their decisions, never having to feel guilt? easy on themselves and useful to others, enjoying God and themselves and others. Who doesn't want that kind of life? That's the abundant life. It's what each of us all long for. It's what each of us are fighting for. It's what the American dream tries to sell. It's what every major religion tries to sell and push this abundant life. But what we learned last week from Pastor Destiny as she kicked off our series is that the source to the abundant life is found, and we all know it, it's all found in Jesus. He's the source of our joy, of our rest, of intimacy, of love and satisfaction. He's the source of it. But here's the deal. We fail to tap into that source and truly live the abundant life. Because when I say that, some of you are like, yeah, Jesus, he's the source. I got it. But then if we're honest, we can say, well, man, I've tried that Jesus thing, and I'm not getting that abundant life that you're talking about. It sounds great in theory, and I really do believe that, but how do I have it in my life? And what I find is that most of us, we fail to tap into the source because simply we don't know how to connect to the source in our daily and weekly rhythms. It's not just a once a week thing where we come to church and we sit in a seat and some guy or one woman comes up and tells about God and, and all of a sudden we feel near to God and that source, we get it, we tap into it a little bit and we're like, there's the rest I've been looking for. There it is. But then we leave and we don't know how to carry and stay connected to the source on Monday morning when the kids are screaming, when the bot, right? When it's like, it's a long work day. Come on, when, when you get in a fight with your spouse, like, where's the source then? And that's the thing. We don't walk in the joy and the rest and the love and the satisfaction because we don't know how to walk with it consistently. We don't know the key to walking consistently attached to the source. And so if we're going to live like him, if we're going to experience this abundant life that each of us desire to have, and that's the thing, all of us desire to have this abundant life. All of us do. If we're going to do that, then we have to learn about these keys to the abundant life, these on-ramps in our life, these rhythms in our daily and through our day and our week where we can stay connected to the vine, stay connected to the source that is Jesus. A formal way of saying this is this. We call these things, the keys to the abundant life, we call them spiritual disciplines. We call them practices that have been practiced for centuries Since Jesus died on the cross and rose again, the church has practiced these things for centuries. And why? Because they work. They're on-ramps. They're rhythms that keep you connected to the source who is the abundant life. The source of intimacy, rest, love, satisfaction, happiness. These spiritual disciplines are everything. 
you know, to use an illustration, think about this. God, who always gives, who's always generous, full of love, wanting to give hope and rest and intimacy and satisfaction in your life over and abundantly, right? So the source is great. The problem is the container. And so we're, we're, instead of having a cup that's ready to be filled, often we have holes in our cup where we have it for a little bit, but then it slips away. It feels like that, doesn't it? You go to church and you experience God and your cup gets filled, but then throughout the week, leak after leak after leak, something happens. Where's God? Where's the source? And we start drifting out of rest into anxiety, out of love and into self-preservation, right? I got to get mine. I can't even give to you. We start drifting out, but the container, the thing that can contain, the very thing that God wants to give into your life, it takes discipline. Discipline is the container that holds the very things that you're longing for. And these things are spiritual by nature. They require faith. They require the Holy Spirit. And so we want to soar and rise up, to use another illustration, we want to soar and rise up in in our week, in our life, in our day-to-day rhythms. But the thing is, we don't know how to spread our wings wide enough to catch the wind that's always blowing. Yeah? And so this series, we're learning about the keys to the abundant life that Jesus promises. And so tonight, as you can tell by your handout, we're looking at this first spiritual discipline, this first really key to the abundant life, one that which I'm super excited to share tonight, is that we're looking at prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer, right. My hope for you tonight is that you would see prayer differently. And that you would engage in this practice for your life after you've learned about what prayer is a little more deeply, that you'd apply it to your life. Because I really believe this. I truly believe this. That when you learn how to engage God in the place of prayer, it changes every other area of your life. How you make decisions, how you see your spouse and your kids in the world, it changes everything. When you learn how to pray, it truly is a key to the abundant life. Now, I have a confession, uh, and, and maybe you'll go with me here for a moment, but I tend to get what is known as hangry. And for those that don't know, that means you're so hungry that you get angry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All my hangry people? Hey, look, there's some in the room, my people. Same exact thing. My, my, my poor wife, I mean, she can just tell. Like, I'll be in a good mood and everything, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm just real grouchy. I don't know why. Why am I in such a bad mood? And then she'll say, you need to eat. I'm like, no, I don't. You need to eat. You know, it's like real snappy, and I'm hangry, and I feel it creep on me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's that blood sugar dropping. It's like, I should have ate an hour ago. What am I doing? And, you know, I think, I think in a similar way, I think we can go through life spiritually hangry. Where we have nothing left to give. Where we're easily angry, angered, and frustrated, restless. We can't sleep. Anybody, anybody else had a sleepless night before? Come on. Anybody woken up from, from your worst nightmares? You believing it came true? Yeah. We're stressed, burdened, not freed up. And so, you know, we hear this command, like Jesus says, love other people. But it's like, man, we're so burdened ourselves. How could we even give to someone else? Some of us feel like we're failing God. Because we're not doing the things that we call, we're called to do, that he calls us to do. But if we're really honest, we feel like we're not free enough to even give. We're spiritually hangry. We're snapping at people and things behind closed doors when we take off the face that we do, right? Hey, how are you? And then like the way we talk to like the people in our inner circle, they're the ones who really feel the spiritual hangriness of your life. 
They're the ones who feel the, the snapping, the frustration. They feel the, the, the insecurity and anxiety and everything motivated by fear. It's spiritual hangriness. And the reason is, is because we haven't learned how to spiritually eat throughout the day. I would submit to you this, that spiritual hangriness is the result of prayerlessness. It's the result of prayerlessness. Now, here's what I would like in prayer too, and this is that first blank, is that prayer is like breathing. Prayer is like breathing. Imagine doing what you do throughout the day, trying to hold your breath. See, at first it's okay, right? And you're okay. You can still do the things you do calmly, but notice that as time goes along, what happens is you hold your breath. You get you get anxious, you get stressed, you get hurried. It's like me trying to buckle my three kids in the van, okay? <laughs> I'm at my worst when I'm trying to rowdy my three kids in the van. I'm the most anxious, I'm the most triggered, I'm the most sensitive, I'm the most, buckle up. It's like that. But imagine living like that throughout your week, throughout your day. Where like you're trying to do things, you're trying to get stuff done, while trying to hold your breath, it doesn't work. And that's what I mean. Prayer is the outlet of life. Prayer is, so things happen to us in life. We have this stimuli that comes in our world, but how do we, we have to have some way to release that. And that's what prayer is. That's what breathing is. Breathing is. Everybody everybody take a deep breath for me, will you? Breathe in. Now breathe out. And that's so much what prayer is for us. But what we do when we're prayerless It's like holding your breath. You take it all in, but there is nothing coming out. So it's like trying to go through life while holding your breath. No wonder you're you're sensitive and feel like the world's out to get you. No wonder you feel stressed and burdened because you're going through life holding your breath. Prayer is like breathing. See, without a rhythm of prayer, we feel meaningless. We feel a loss of connection with God, obviously. You know, the central purpose of human life is communion with God, knowing God, loving God, witnessing God, joining God's effort in the world. But where there's no prayer, there is no communion with him. There is no talking and back and forth without him. And so what happens without God, we feel a sense of meaninglessness. Christ is the sunrise in the morning where things still are what they are, but until the sun rises and the light shines upon it, it just seems dark and meaningless. You see what I'm saying? Like with God, he's like the morning sunrise. He shines light and gives meaning to all areas of our life. Child rearing, marriage, your job, it seems meaningless and trivial and really a burden until the light of Christ shines upon it. And the only way we we have that communion and we have that it's in the place of prayer. It's in the place of prayer. Not only that, I feel like when we lose a rhythm of prayer in our life, we also lose a connection even in our relationships. You know, often I find this in our marriages that we, we can lose, lose a connection. I mean, once you've been married, past that puppy love the first couple of years, you know what I'm saying? And then you get to a point in your marriage, right, where it's like, it's like that, that seven-year itch, they call it. For some of you that have been married, I mean, my wife and I make nine years this fall, and some of you have been married for like 20 years, 15 years, 18 years. Wow. But you know what I'm talking about? There can be this drift. And part of what that is is that, see, we can know someone physically, obviously. 
We can even know someone soulishly. I know how they think. I know how they feel, their mind, will, and emotions. I know what they're going to do. I know how they like their popcorn. But we can also fail to not know someone spiritually. And that's where that deeper level of connection comes from. We get to know someone on a spiritual level. And how do we do that? It's in the place of prayer. When couples pray together, they get to know each other spiritually. And so when we don't have a rhythm of prayer, we're not praying together, and it's not like a breath, even in our relationship, in our marriage life, we lose a sense of connection. And I know about you, and I've known you physically, I've known you soulishly, but I haven't gotten to know you in a level that, that really cuts heart, cuts at the heart. See, if we're honest, I find that our prayerlessness is not that we're not praying. So I think most of you in the room, you would say, man, I pray. I pray all the time. Right now, you know, don't raise your hands, but if I were to say, raise your hands if you pray at least once a day. I mean, I'm pretty sure that 99% of you would be like, yeah, man. I cussed that guy out when he came. You know, it's like when he cut me off in traffic, sure. Yeah, like most of us, most of us pray, but here's what I find is that we don't know how to walk in prayer consistently. We pray, but we don't feel anything. We pray and run out of words. We pray and feel emptiness. We pray don't know what to say. Or we pray and ask for things that God already does instead of just thanking him for it. Here's what I find we fall into. Here's our, our occasions for prayer is this. We first pray a crisis prayer. That's your next blank, a crisis prayer. That's when we pray when, when crisis hits. That's like eating only when you're sick. That's like feeding yourself only. And, and, you know, we wonder why God will bring us through places, right? Because that's when he feels the closest to us. <laughs> so we're praying the most. Oh, God, please. Crisis prayers. But then when everything's okay, what do we do? God gets in the back burner. We quit breathing. We, it's so funny. It's in our darkest times of the Lord that we feel the most alive. Why? Because our prayer life is most alive oftentimes. We pray crisis prayers. Next, I find that we pray Santa prayers. We pray and only tell God what we want. That's like eating only junk food. God, I want God, I want that BMW. Why haven't you given it to me? God, if only my wife would stop being so horrible because I'm so perfect. God, if only my kids would act right. God, would you, would you, could you, will you do it, God? And we give Santa our list and we walk away. And yet again, that's not fulfilling. It's unloading and offloading right? But nothing's received. And then lastly, we pray a religious prayer. This is when we go through the emotions in an attempt to please God. This is like eating cardboard. This is truly meaningless. When we just feel like we're going to please God by saying a bunch of words. Jesus warned about that. Don't babble words off like the religious do that mean nothing as though that's going to please God. It doesn't please God. It doesn't get anything done. And it really feels kind of silly. See, I believe this, every one of us in the room have the potential to grow in this act, this key to the abundant life, this place of prayer. And thankfully, the Bible teaches us how to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Or another translation says, pray without ceasing. Pray, but don't stop praying. And so when I read that, though, some of us are like, man, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? I mean, do you want us to shave our heads, find a cave, and just go meditate? Like, how do you, is, is Paul saying for us to be, what, monks? 
How do you pray without ceasing? How do you pray continually? Because obviously, for the reasons that we talked about, prayer is like breathing, right? We kind of need to be praying a lot. But how do we do that? Because I don't know about you, because if I'm not in a crisis, I don't want any Santa Claus, or I don't feel, I'm not really feeling that religious, I don't know what to say to God. So pray without ceasing sounds laborious. It doesn't sound like I'm being invited to any sort of abundant living. But I love what Paul, he's so smart when he wrote this to the church of Thessalonica. Without ceasing is a, it's a secular term that secular literature used at the time to describe a man that was suffering from an intermittent cough. (laughs) A man who just kept coughing. And so you would say that a man who had an incessant cough, that he coughed without ceasing. That he would incessantly cough. And sometimes he wouldn't even do it audibly. Sometimes he would, (laughs) you know, you feel that cough in your throat, but nothing comes out. To, to, to cough without ceasing is to walk around throughout the day, not all the time, but you have this constant, any moment it's about to bubble up, a cough. <laughs> Out of nowhere. You could be talking to somebody, <laughs> cough. You could be walking around and you feel it in your gut, it just ends up in your throat and nothing comes out but something's there. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You can feel the need and the impulse to cough but it doesn't always come all the time. But when it does, it's throughout the day. It's incessant. It doesn't stop. And in a similar way, this is what Paul is saying. To pray without ceasing means to pray in intervals throughout the day. Like a prayer, like a cough that's caught up in your throat that's not always audible. It's there at the tip of your tongue. The conversation's always kept alive. Always you feel bubbling in your gut this need to breathe in the place of prayer with him. You're walking as you're working in your garden, as you're driving your car, as you're going through the store, as you're thinking, man, that's really expensive. Gas is really expensive. What are you doing? Ah, it's like a cough. (laughs) God, I need you. God, you're here. It's an acknowledgement of his presence. It's an acknowledgement of his faithfulness. Like a man with an incessant cough has a tendency to cough, but not always audibly. We remain in this posture and attitude of prayer. We have to constantly be mindful, like a cough sitting in our gut. We have to constantly be mindful of God's presence and our dependence upon him. Here's what I would submit to you what prayer is. And I want you to, ch- I want, I want you to rethink how you think about prayer. Prayer, this is that next blank, is an awareness. Prayer is an awareness. Prayer is not just the act of talking to God. Yes, it includes words sometimes. But like we talked about, crisis and Santa Claus and religious prayers are full of words that miss the point. Prayer is not just about the words you say to God. It's about a posture, it's an attitude, it's a mindfulness about God. It's an awareness. And that's what a posture of prayer is. This is how we can pray without ceasing. This is why it doesn't even have to be audible all the time. Why? Because I'm walking around and my thoughts, my mind is set on two things. God's nearness and my need for him constantly. And that fuels, that fuels my prayer life. I'm constantly feeding my mind in awareness that I need God. And so at any moment, like a cough comes up, I'll express that need to God and, and, and acknowledge his nearness in my life at any moment. Because prayer is not the words I say. Prayer begins. It starts. It is at its heart an awareness. 
a mindfulness, a posture about how you walk throughout your day. And this is why we miss prayer, because we boil it down to the things we say to God. And then it's like we, that's why prayer is so intimate. This is why it's the key to communion with God. Because when we treat prayer only as the words that we give, we forget that he's the God who knows our hearts and our minds. So prayer is not just about offering words to God. Prayer is about offering a heart to God that's always steady, always mindful of him. It's an awareness. So Paul says, I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to walk around in this posture of always being mindful of God, his nearness and your need for him. Prayer is like an incessant cough you walk around it with. And you know, this is the reason why we can be at Walmart and if there's an opportunity to pray for someone, we can just pray on the spot. The reason I can do that, I'm not shocked by that. The reason I'm not caught off guard by someone's need is why? Because when you walk in the posture of prayer, you're always aware that God is at Walmart in aisle 17, loving and living and wanting to, wanting to seek after this person. And guess what? Just like I need him, this person needs him. So when I walk in that awareness, I'm always in a state of prayer. Let's talk. What do you need prayer for? And for them, it's just words. But for me, I know the secret sauce. It's about the heart posture. And that's a prayer that moves God's heart. Not a religious prayer. Not just a crisis prayer. Not just a Santa Claus prayer. A prayer that says, God, you are God and I am man. And I walk in that realization throughout my day. And he would say, that is true prayer. That's communion with me. Now you're really starting to tap into the key to the abundant life. It's not found by treating it like just mere words. It's an awareness. But here's where prayer begins. Prayer begins with acceptance. We're going to walk in this awareness first when we accept. See, maybe the reason why we're prayerless and we feel defeated in our prayer is because we don't realize the access that we have to God in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, check it out. It's on your paper. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, for some of you, are like, what's a high priest? A high priest was someone who would go to God on behalf of the people. And that is what Jesus is for us. He is our high priest. He's the one who goes to the Father and on our behalfs and makes intercession for us. Who is appealing to the Father saying, Alex is covered by my blood. Uh, Alex is mine and I am his. You hear that, Father? Hear what he's asking for? Let it be so. Jesus is the high priest who understands where where we're beset with, the temptations and the, the weaknesses that we have. But because of Jesus, we can approach God in his majesty and power with confidence, with confidence. He says, let us then, because of our high priest, because of Jesus, we can approach God Almighty in the place of prayer with confidence. And you can be confident that you're always going to receive two things. He said, you're going to go and receive what? Mercy and grace. 
you will fight so that, what? We may receive, what? Underline that. Mercy and grace to help us in our time of what? Need. See, so often we don't pray because we don't understand the access that we have to the Father. Some of you think that you don't pray because you think God's going to meet you with condemnation and fear and judgment because of the mistakes that you've made in life. But because of Jesus Christ, our high priest, you have the ability to have access to God Almighty in the place of prayer. And you can always approach him with confidence knowing that you're going to receive this, mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. And that's grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's what I meant to say. You get everything that you don't deserve and more. That's what you can expect when you open up your mouth and you talk to the Father. I want you to get this tonight. I really want you to be people of prayer. I really want you to be people who walk in an awareness of God's nearness and your need for him. But you'll never do that if you walk around with condemnation from your past. You have to know that because of Jesus, not because of the bad you did or the good you did, you can approach the throne of God's glory and you can make requests. You can talk to him about your day. Why? Not because of what you've done, but because of your high priest. And you can expect to receive two things every single time. God, you're not going to give me what I deserve, but you're going to give me what I don't deserve every single time because I need you. And that's why I can, I can go to aisle 17 at Walmart and if someone needs a need, why? I can do this in the name of Jesus. Why? Because they're going to receive grace and mercy just like me. Christ didn't die just for me. He died for that person in aisle 17 at Walmart. That's the awareness that I'm talking about. Prayer is an awareness. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. This is why we pray in the name of the high priest. Because it's in his name that we can approach it with such confidence. Him who is holy and mighty and powerful. It's only because of Jesus. This is why we pray in his name. And we will invoke mercy and grace from God Almighty. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is not our bad behavior that keeps us from God or our good behavior that brings us near to God. It is the blood of Jesus that brings us near to the Father, near to God. It's his sacrifice on the cross that gives you nearness, access to him, whether or not what you did or didn't do. See, the more you realize how much you are accepted by him, how much you have access to him, the more you'll want to talk to him, I promise you. If you spent more time thinking about what Christ has done for you, you're going to find this motivation to want to talk to God more because all of a sudden, the gates fling wide, you can go sit on daddy's lap. And it's not based upon what you did or what you've done or what you will do. It's based upon what he's already done 2,000 years ago. James 1, 6 through 7 says this, though, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I'm telling you, beloved of God, 
beloved of God, you saints, hear me on this. We must make a decision to either believe that because of Jesus we have access or because of our good and bad behavior, we do or don't have access. You've got to put it on one of the two, either his behavior or yours. But you've got to make a decision. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed to and fro. I asked God for this, but I don't know if he's going to give it because I did this. Or I asked this from, from God and, and he's going to give it because I did these good works. Or, or you make the decision to say, no, whatever I ask in the name of Jesus, it's not based upon my good or bad behavior. It's based upon what he's done for me on the cross. All of a sudden, there's a confidence and there's a belief that will not be shaken and tossed to and fro by what happens in your life. Your confidence is in Christ. See, are we accepted and heard by God because of what we've done or because of him, what he's done? And so when you approach God, you approach in the name of Jesus, knowing that that has been bought and paid for you. You have access to the Father, and he calls you son. He calls you daughter. That's our confidence. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is for you tonight. He is for you. You can't hear that enough. I don't feel a bit silly reminding you of the love of Christ found in Jesus. I don't feel a bit silly or rudimentary telling you that, you are, that God is for you and he loves you. Because, beloved, we all need to be reminded of that every day. That while you are still imperfect, failing, doomed, and not doing it right, he still chose you. We have that confidence that if we fail our kids, if we fail in our marriage, if we fail in our finances, if we fail in our health, if we fail in whatever area of your life, you can approach God knowing that you're going to receive mercy and grace because of his love for you. You may forget or lose feelings for the cross of Jesus, but it does not change what happened or what it means. You may not feel it. You're not going to feel the love of God every day, right? It's like, come on. But it doesn't change the fact that it's a fact that it happened. We may want to look elsewhere, but the cross is still standing there. Never moving, always standing, and it will forever. 2 Corinthians 5 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In Jesus we are reconciled. That word reconciled means restored in friendship and harmony. Our friendship with God is restored in Christ. This is the access I'm talking about, friend. Friends, you are friends of God. Do you know that? In Christ, that is who you are. You are rich in him. And God is your friend. And you can walk in an awareness that your access to him never ceases. He's always near. And he's for you. And whenever that old devil wants to remind you of what you've done or you think of and conjure up some reason why God doesn't hear you, you point and look back to the cross of what Christ has done for you. You remind the enemy and yourself, most of all, that because of Jesus, you have access to the Father. And you can approach his throne of grace with confidence. 
that in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. And you've been reconciled back to him. That's what I love about prayer is that prayer, when we pray, we're saying that God accepts us. Think about that. When you go to pray to God, you're going already with this thought, with this belief that God's going to accept what you have to say. Think about that for a minute. So we never approach prayer. That's why prayer, it's, that's why Christ's prayers, it, you get a glimpse of what we're talking about because he does meet us in our need. And we find mercy in Christ, don't we? Come on, how many of you have been delivered from a crisis in your life because you prayed a prayer? You know what I'm talking about? You taste a, a, a mirror, that's why, but it misses the fullness of it if you only pray Christ's prayers. This is why, why, why Santa Claus prayers totally misses it because it's not relational. It's only about you and, and only you. And you want God to do the genie bidding of your life, feeding your idols. And this is why religious prayers don't work at all because it totally misses the heart of the matter. It approaches God with fear and trembling, don't knowing if he's going to get us, and we have to earn it by babbling prayers to him. We approach in the name of Jesus. Prayer is an awareness, but it begins with acceptance. It begins with this idea that I am accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. Prayer helps us live in light of what he's done for us, doesn't it? Because every time I pray, I have to be reminded of the cross and how I'm not worthy, but what he did for me was. That's why prayer connects you to the source who is the abundant life. Because you're constantly, every time you pray and you walk in that awareness, you're thinking about what he's done. And that changes everything. It changes everything. How is prayer sustained? Prayer begins with acceptance. I'm accepted, but you know how it's sustained, how it keeps going? It's through admission. It's through admission. Admission. We're admitting something. See, what's constantly feeding the conversation between you and God are these two things. You're constantly admitting two things in the place of prayer. This is the awareness. This is the muttering on your lips. This is the cough that's in your throat. These are the two things that God actually cares about what's going on in your life and that you desperately need him. Those two things, those two things fuel the topic of prayer for you. These are the two things that constantly, like two ping pong balls in your mind, they're going back and forth, back and forth, and one feeds the other. That because God is for me and he cares for me, I can bring my needs to him. And because, oh God, I need you, I can trust that you care about me and I can bring my needs to you. And that's why we can walk in this awareness. He's for you and I, and we desperately need him. Matthew 6 says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered by merely repeating their words again and again and again. Like incantations, like magic. It's weird. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. See, we don't just babble off religious stuff to God. Too often we think God doesn't care about the minor details of our life. I, I, I'm here to tell you that God cares about what, you, what, you, what you're scared of. <laughs> he cares about what you're going through. My wife and I, my, my little boy got, uh, he had a little, Luke got a little eye infection recently. and um, His eyes swole up and we thought it was like an ant bite or something. And, um, my wife and I, we, we didn't want to have to 
go and like, man, we got to bring him to the doctor and it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And oh, okay. And uh, yesterday morning, I sat on my son's bed before I woke him up, looked at his eye. Oh, it's still not better. And uh, I didn't go to God babbling off repeating prayers, bending his arm to do my will or something. No, I approached God with those two things I'm telling you about. You care for me and I need you. And I simply said, I remember I sat on my bed and I said, um, Father, you already know what I need. You know what he needs. Um, God, I, I, need you to, I need you to heal him. I need you to take care of him. You want to do that miraculously? You want to do whatever? I just, I need you to take care of him, Father. And I went about my day. Took him to school. And a long story short, randomly got connected with somebody who like their one of the girls that brings her kids to the school too is like a pediatrician, didn't know that, got connected, she examined his eye, called an antibiotic in for him, and totally saved us some money, um, some medical bill money. Uh, little, little detail for you, but for Haley and I, it's like, God hears us. And it's just this whole idea that it wasn't a babbling, it wasn't, and how often have I prayed things and nothing happened, right? <laughs> but what I find is that it's those places of prayer where we say, God, you already know what I need. You care for me. Come on. Th- some of you need to be listening to how you talk to God, your prayers. It tells a lot. And prayer is a lot about how we learn. We, prayer is really, how do I say this? Prayer really indicates what a person's belief is about God. Listening to someone's prayer, it's like, that's what they think about God. But, man, I'm telling you, when you go to God and you say, God, you, like Jesus said, Father, you already know what I need. This is less about me bending your arm, more about me believing, actually trusting you. Let's get real. God, you're really for me. You already know. This sucks. Would you please do something? Because I can't. I don't know what to do. And move on. That's a prayer. A prayer that's fed between these two ideas, that God cares about my life and I need him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, give all of your worries and cares to God. For he cares about you. You know, it's so funny. This is not suggesting give all your worries and cares to God. Peter, this is in the the imperative, meaning that it's a command. Did you know that prayer, prayer is obedience. That whether you feel it or not, prayer is what God told you to do. So sometimes we pray not because we feel it, but we pray because God said to pray. And it leads to life. And he commands it. Prayer is obedience. This, is, this sounds really great. God cares about you. Give your stuff to him. This is very fundamental to life. God is commanding us, I want you to pray. It's good for you to build this posture of leaning and relying upon me, reversing what happened in the garden at the fall. It's not about independence. It's about dependence, fleshed out through a constant conversation with God. Give our cares to God because he does care for us. We pray because he cares. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Not your kid's swollen eye. Not how you'll pay a bill. Not if your husband will change. Not if your kids will change. Be anxious about nothing. Don't be so caught up in the unknowable, unpredictable future, but instead, Pray. Bring that mind that wants to escape in the future and bring it to the present in the place of prayer. Very practical. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God. 
You know, it's so funny. Salvation really starts as an honest, con- an, an honest talk between you and God, doesn't it? That's where salvation starts. You prayed the sinner's prayer. God, I need you. I believe that, Jesus, you are for me because you died for me on the cross. I receive you into my life. Do what I cannot do. But that, sh- that salvation prayer, it's so funny. That same conversation doesn't stop there. It continues in the rest of your life. God, you're for me because of what Christ did for me in every detail of my life, and I need you. I cannot do what only you can do. Come, have your way, fill my life. In so many ways, salvation prayer is really just the beginning of prayer that we continue on for the rest of our life. You better know that if I'm on my deathbed about to die, my conversation with God will be very, very similar. Jesus, do what only you can do. Receive my spirit. It's prayer. It fuels and fuels our life. Here's what we pray, and here's what we know about God. God is provider. God is provider. This is the created order of things. We need him to provide. He is in control. That's that next blank. God is in control. We need him to take the wheel of our businesses, of our marriage, of our families. Come on. God is judge. We need him to make things right. We need him to do that. And then God is the rule maker. We need him to bring order. If you want to live a life that is abundant, you live in light of these truths in your everyday. We get anxious because we're trying to be the provider rather than trusting God to be the provider. We're unhappy because we're judging everyone rather than letting God be the one to judge, and we just experience life that he gives. We, we, we break the rules and don't like the consequences and wonder why our life ends up the way it did. Why? Because we didn't trust God to be the rule maker and understand of how he created the world, the laws that dictate it. Are you guys get, going there with me? And, be, and we're so anxious afraid because we're trying to control people and circumstances that are out of our control. And, the more, and what's funny is that the more we try to control others and things, the more we lose self-control. There's only one thing God wants you to control, and that's yourself and nothing and no one else. Only God controls. He's sovereign. So much of our prayer, really being anxious, is forgetting one of these four things. And that's why Paul says, pray about everything, pray. Because what do you need to do? You need to remember that your little story is in light of a greater narrative where God is provider, God is in control, God is the judge, God is the rule maker, and we believe that, we rest in that fact. God, you be God, I'm out. Go be God and watch him provide and watch him bring righteousness in people's life that you were judging all along in a way that that upsets you. Watch him bring things out of your control to show you who's really in control so you'll free you to do the one thing you need to control, which is yourself. Watch him show you how you can't make the rules that some things will, like a, like a flint, like a stone, will not give. To teach and remind you who is the true rule maker. We pray. So much of prayer is not about bending God's arm, but catching his heart. So much of prayer is not trying to move God, the genie. 
prayer is about lining ourselves up with these truths about God. This is the four, these guys, these four things are incredibly important. Medita- I, would, I would really strongly suggest you meditate on these things. Meditate on these, I do. These are the four things I meditate on in my day, and it fuels my prayer life. Um, I'm constantly reminding myself, God, I need you. You're provider, you're judge, you're in control, you're the rule maker, I'm not. So lastly, God's nearness and our need drives our prayer life. This is what I've been trying to say for the last 30 minutes. It's simply this. God's nearness, the access you have to him, and your need, your need for him to be provider, in control, the rule maker, the judge, you need him to be that because you were never meant to fill that role in your life. Only God. It fuels our prayer life. There's a Greek word there. I'm sorry, there's a Latin saying there because I find it to be so interesting. Lex orendi, lex credendi. It simply means as we pray, so we believe. I want to encourage you tonight that the more you practice it, the more you believe and ironically, the more you believe, the more you want to practice it, right? And that's an encouragement to some of you as you, some of you are, are beginning this prayer journey. Some of you are maturing in your prayer journey, however you want to say it. This really helps us because, again, it's a command. We don't pray according to our feelings. It's so funny. Ironically, most of the time I get myself out of my feelings by praying, not because of my prayer life. I pray, I, pray, I pray those four things over and over again in my life. I remind myself that he's God. I, I've, he's near to me. He cares for me, and I need him. Yeah? And the more I do that, the more I believe. And the more I believe, the more I want to pray it. And the more I live it. Lex credendi, lex orendi. I wanted to give you guys in our last 20 minutes or so together, I wanted to give you guys five occasions for prayer. I think this is so valuable for you because sometimes, again, our occasions for prayer are simple. We pray when crisis hits. We pray Santa Claus prayers when we feel like we need or want something. And we pray religious prayers. But we don't feel like there's an occasion for prayer. Like, what do we pray? How do we shape our prayers? Is prayer just always saying the same thing over and over again? What do we pray? How do we pray? Well, there's, there's occasions for prayer. These are occasions. These are this uh, ways of praying have been prayed and, and structured like this for, again, since the beginning of the church in the third century. They've prayed like this. This is incredibly, incredibly good. Five occasions for prayer. Our first occasion is petition. These are types of prayer that you can pray. Give you a little more variety in your life. Petition. This is where we focus on our needs in light of God's goodness. We ask God, God, would you meet my needs because you love me and I love you. You know, the, the, what's shown about this, a petition prayer is the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. One that's very familiar, right? Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For that is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Very familiar prayer that we're all familiar with, but how it's structured gives us how we petition God. It's how we bring our needs to God. It's so funny because the Lord's Prayer is really divided into two parts. The, our love for God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will. It's about love of God. And then it's God's love for us. It's God's glory and will and name being magnified in our life here and now today. 
but it's also, God, you sustain me. And God sustains us in three ways. He gives us daily sustenance, doesn't he? Give us this day our daily bread, right? He also leads us to forgiveness. Come on, how many of us carry the junk of what he or she did yesterday? <laughs> God says, you need an, what you need is not a Mercedes. What you need is mercy and forgiveness, you know? You need to let that pass. Go forgive mom, forgive dad, right? Forgiveness, but also deliverance. Preservation from the evil one who tempts us. God provides for us. These are three ways God does that. He provides daily bread, a pediatrician if you need it, right? He provides forgiveness and the strength to forgive. Oh, come on. Number one killer of marriages in in my short term of ministry, number one killer of marriages is unforgiveness. It starts there. That unforgiveness turns into a seed of bitterness that causes hard-heartedness, that gives people justification for adultery, and eventually looking people across a lawyer's table saying, I want everything, they can have nothing. And it all started back to what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just some high thing. It's a daily thing. We have to daily walk in that. It's so, so important. And if you feel like you can't forgive, guess what? God says, I'll provide for you. I'll help you forgive. And then lastly, of course, deliverance. God, deliver me from temptation. I'm struggling in this area of my life. I'm breaking things I shouldn't break. Petition, petition. Second occasion for prayer is intercession. Intercession. It's intercession. This is where we focus on God for others' needs. This is so important. This is where we bring sincere requests to God as we discern the needs of other other people. Here's what I know about intercession. Intercession leads to intimacy. And I love this. Intercession is about praying for other people. It's about shared connection. And so intercession intercession helps us see how we are connected to other people. Mm. (laughs) My wife makes me mad. She does something that irritates me, right? And uh, I'm perfect. I don't ever do that for anybody, you know. And, I, and so I, I get a little perturbed. Man, she never does this. Ah, oh, she never does that. Ah. Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm cleaning the house. I'm mad as I'm doing it, you know. Doing the dishes, putting away the dishes a little louder so she hears me, you know. And then here comes intercession. Where then I take the focus off of me and I put it back on God. And then I, I start thinking about what they need. Because they wouldn't just do that. Most of what we do is not malicious. It's either selfish or just misguided. So I just start praying for her. And at first it's like, it's like, God bless her, Lord, and help her, Jesus. She's a sinner and I'm not. And, you know, and it's like, but somewhere along the way, all of a sudden I start, as I'm praying for her needs and who she is, I find that I start seeing myself in her. And that's what intimacy is, isn't it? I see you, and I see myself in you. And that's what intercession does in our marriages and in our family. Praying as a married couple, praying in your family. Guys, there's so many layers of why that's so important. But what it does is it lets it, and when you, when you, when I take my wife's hand, actually my wife just did this two or three days for me. She said, Alex, come sit down. I want to pray for you. I'm like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> So I sit down, I'm like, pray for me, <laughs> what you need. And so she just lays hands on my arm, and she just prays. And what's so funny, guys, if you feel overlooked by your spouse, if you feel not seen, God is so smart 
asking married couples to pray together because I know that my wife really sees me because I heard her pray for me. And she was saying things I didn't know she knew. And she was asking God to do things for me that I don't even ask for myself because secretly I feel like I'm not worthy to ask. And she helped love me in the place of prayer. I mean, guys, that's an intimacy. That's what I'm talking about, knowing someone spiritually. You can know someone physically. You can even know someone spiritually. That's what dates are kind of about. I'm sorry, soulishly. It's kind of what dates are about, right? What's your favorite color? And then it turns into like, you gonna pick up the kids at four o'clock today? You know, but then you can know someone spiritually in the place of prayer. Were you, were you in the presence of them, you pray to God for them. It's powerful. When, when literally you are at Walmart, God puts someone on your heart and you pray for them. They get the opportunity to hear the Father's heart for them as you discern their needs. Powerful. Some of you are like, I, my heart is cold towards this people group or these, these people or this thing. Pray for them. Try to discern the needs of that person and bring them to God. And all of a sudden, prayer gives perspective. You start seeing and feeling about that person a little differently. Why? Because intercession leads to intimacy. You feel a shared connection with people you pray for in your prayer closet. So anytime I'm hard-hearted for somebody or I'm not understanding, I pray for them. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Pray for them. Why? Because you need perspective. You need to see things as I see them. So come to me. Let's have a conversation, right? It's like we deal with our kids. Let's talk about it. Let me give you another perspective of things. And it's like, oh, wait, I'm the enemy too. Oh, wait, I mess up too. Oh, wait. That's what intercession does. It leads to intimacy. It's not about saying the right thing. And some of you, if I say praise a couple, some of you are like, I don't know what to say. Guess what? That's okay. Some of the most powerful prayers people have prayed for me have been not structured well, not pretty or eloquent, but they've been sincere and honest. And I tell you what, there's some of you men, you feel maybe a little insecure in, in spiritual things. Maybe you don't know the Bible as much as you would like. Let me tell you right now, you may not be able to quote 50 scriptures, but man, if you'll take your wife by the hand and you will pray for her right there, but just bubbling, babbling, and all. But if you are sincere and honest with it, man, I'm telling you, that does something. It really does something, and it's so easy. It creates mercy and grace in your marriage and space for acceptance, even when we don't do things right. Because that's what grace is, giving things you don't deserve. And we're in the business of that because that's what Christ did for us. Intercession is powerful. Also praying together as a church. This is why we intercede as a church, for a city, for a nation, for schools. How many of us know that we get overwhelmed in life? Come on, the things that we're seeing on the news. Biden's falling off a bike. You know, we got to pray for things, guys, you know. That was a joke. Didn't land like I thought it would. Thank you. But on a serious note, there's a lot of evil things happening in the world. In our city, there's some things going on that upsets us, doesn't it? But this is why saints, beloved of God, when we come together and we pray together, it prevents us from being overwhelmed together. We begin to see the problem as God sees it together. 
And in sharpening one another, as you pray, and as I hear your heart for that matter, all of a sudden, what was kind of cold and hard and callous towards the issue, because I'm a leftist or I'm a rightist, whatever, all of a sudden I start seeing things a little bit differently. Intercession leads to what? Intimacy. I start seeing things differently. And so we receive comfort from God when we pray for these things that are burdening us as, as a church. Intercession is a way of focusing more on God than the problem, and that's what happens when we pray together. It's powerful when the people of God come together. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Pray for each other. Jesus' little brother is saying. Awesome. Let's move on to the next one. The third occasion is lament. Lament. This is where we address unrelieved suffering. You know, a lot of us get petition. Bring your needs to God. It's one that we're most familiar with. A lot, even some of you have been raised in church, you get intercession. We're going to pray for other people, right? But this is lament. Lament's a little bit different. Lament is, is faith's alternative to despair. Lament is, rather than me being hopeless in my suffering, I'm going to hope in God. Lament turns anguish and anger into prayer. That's what lament is. Why did you let that person die? God, why did you let that person get sick? God, why did you? We've all been there. We've lament with God. Lament enters the tension between experiencing evil in the world and God being a good God who's for us. And that's that space between. That's lament. Look at Psalm 13. It's, the, it's a psalm of lament. Look, look, look at these words. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? Come on, how many of you have ever felt that before? Where are you? How long would you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day, have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me and I hear their accusations? How long, God, how long? Lament. Where I'm not going to fall into hopelessness and despair, but the alternative is I'm just going to hope in you, I think, and I'm going to ask questions like, God, how long and why? And I'm going to get an answer right here and now, but what happened? I love about lamenting is that it risks everything for God. Because lamenting, when you lament and don't get hard and cynical, you remain open and alive, but that means you're going to suffer. So lament's this weird place where I'm suffering and I'm hurting, but I, if I go despair, I'm going to get cynical and hardened and bitter in the suffering. And this is why some of us will, you know, something bad, someone will come to faith, come to the church, and then something bad happens in their life and they turn from God and get bitter with God. They haven't been taught how to lament. And say, like the psalmist said, God, how long? God, why did this happen? When will this get better? What does this look like on the other side? I don't know. Help me. I'm hurting. And I'm going to remain hurting until you do something. Lament. Lament is about keeping the question alive. And, you know, this helps us in our friendships and family as they go through suffering. Because sometimes so many of us, God, being in the church world this long, so many of us, you know what I'm talking about. Something bad happens in someone's life, we do not know what to say, people. <laughs> start talking about our problems. Someone just lost someone. We'll just start talking about our problems. We'll just like, I'll pray for you. But we don't, we don't know how, like Job's friends, we don't know how to hold space and lament. And say, I, I've been praying for you, and I'm with you. How long? 
how long does this got to go on? Let's keep the question alive. And you know what I find is that somewhere in the midst of that, there is a mystery of God at work in the heart when we lament. And you'll meet people like that. I've met people at this church who, who, who have lamented and grieved loss in their life, tragedy in their life. But I can always tell that they did it right. You can always tell when a wound heals the right way because of the way it looks and the way it feels. And when I get around people and I hear their stories and I hear the anguish, I hear, did you lament? Did you grieve? And you know, people who have, they can't explain it. It still hurts. The scar's there, but there was a healing that took place in the lament. They can't explain. Things just didn't just get better. God did a work in the heart, and it's mystery. It's just like Job's response. God finally responds to Job after he asks, how long? And what does God ask? What God says? God doesn't tell him anything. God just asks him a question. Where were you? <laughs> Let's lean into the mystery, Job, and let me be God. It's in those places of suffering where we lament with God and we, quit, we keep the question alive. God becomes more God in our hearts than ever before. A healing takes place that is really, there's no words. It just is. And it's so intimate and close to God in your places of suffering. Lament is powerful. Lament is powerful. It'll keep your heart from growing cynical when, when bad stuff happens. And keep it alive with God and let God do work. Lament is powerful. Next is confession. Confession. Confession's when we address the sin in our lives. 1 John 1, 8-9 says, if we claim to be without sin, if we say, I don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Sin is complex, and it's deceiving. We don't talk about sin a lot in the church, but sin is real. It's, it's alive. And it's alive, it's indwelling even the, in, the, in the believer. It's that resistance. It's the thing that wants a thing that you know you don't want, but you want it. It's sin. But here's the nature of sin. The nature of sin is that it disguises itself. No one sinning knows that they're sinning. That's why sinners sin so boldly. That's why we as Christians are like, how could they ever? I would never. And we judge them. And why well, gay pride? And it's like, it's so flamboyant and big. And like, they, right? Sin is like that because why? Sin disguises itself. Sin is deceiving. They don't see it as sin. Sin is not sin when it's sin. It's something else. And that's the nature of sin. It disguises itself. That's why he says, if anyone claimed to be out with sin, we deceive ourselves. It's deceiving. It appears one thing, and it is really another. And so it's not sin in our lives. Sin will say it's something else. Don't look over here, because if you really look over here, you're going to find out what it really is. Sin is like that. And this is why we can all find into this twisted. Each of us have a twisted self-perception. There's not one person in this room that sees themselves as you exactly are. Because the heart is deceitful above all else, Jeremiah 17, 19. We don't actually look inward and see something pure. We see something broken. It wants the things it shouldn't want. We see a wrestling. It's Romans 7. We see a wrestling happen on the inside. Sin at work as much as the grace of God at work. There's a battle. There's something raging. It's broken. It's not, it's not whole. And so we don't see ourselves as we do. We just kind of look and we say, ah, I have no sin. I'm, I'm okay because we're not aware. But then the Holy Spirit will prompt us. He'll, he'll, he'll quick our conscience. You guys know what I'm talking about. Your conscience will be pricked. 
all of a sudden, what was once okay is not okay anymore, and the bar just got raised. We call that, in, in Christianity, we call that conviction. I've been convicted. <laughs> Meaning, I was innocent, and I thought everything was good, because I was living under the deception and the disguise of sin, but then I became really aware of what I'm doing and how wrong it is. Ho, ho. And if it's not backed by access and love and the blood of Christ, you will, <laughs> you'll fall into condemnation. But when it is, what we do, the Christian's response to when the Holy Spirit pricks our conscience about sin in our lives, when we actually become aware, like, oh, I am, actually, this is wrong. I'm not doing what's life-giving. We confess. We don't, we don't fall into despair or condemnation. We confess. We confess what we've done. Now, something about confession you need to know is that confession is not a response to grace. It's a condition of grace. I'm sorry, it's a response to grace. It's not a condition of grace. What, what I mean by that is that we confess on the basis that we're already forgiven and we're already accepted. Think about that. You're already forgiven. There is sin in your life right now that you don't know is sin that is blatant to other people but not blatant to you. Very blatant to God. And yet he still loves you, accepts you, and you can still offer prayers to him. You're already forgiven and accepted. So the proper place of confession, it's not, God, will you forgive me? No, it's, God, I am forgiven. Thank you for making me aware of the thing that I was living under deception and disguise with for many years. Thank you for making me better and making me aware. God, I confess that's real. Come and do what you said you would do in 1 John. If we confess our sins, what does he say? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God says, I'm going to point out the bad way because I want to show you a better way. That's why, that's the heart and the spirit of confession. It's not, oh God, would you forgive me? It's God, I thank you that you have forgiven me. Show me a better way, because that's why you're doing this. You you let me be disguised for years, but now I'm ready to receive it. And that's what God does when he raises the bar as you mature in him. What was once permissible for me in my first couple years of following Christ, now almost 12 years in, yeah, the bar's raised a little bit. Because what was once okay is no longer permissible. That's confession, but I confess that. That's why none of us can look at another and judge one another. Because each of us should be praying in a place where the Holy Spirit is convicting and illuminating what was once deception in our life. And we say, whoa, man, let me tell you about an area of my life that I was walking that I did not know, but now I know. And I confessed it to God, and I'm, I'm confessing it. I'm coming into agreement saying that was sin, that was wrong. I was hurting myself and others but I got shown a better way. How about you? Is there an area of your life that you would say right now you're in the place of confession, confessing that you are being illuminated in your inner man, being shown where you're being deceived and you're walking in the light? Each one of us have that story in Christ. And so this is why there's an occasion for prayer where we confess things. We confess things. And then lastly, the last one is praise. This is where we express gratitude to God. I love what Karl Barth says. He said, grace evokes gratitude like the voice of an echo. Grace invokes gratitude, praise, thanksgiving, like the voice of an echo. It speaks, and then what comes back? Echo. God's grace goes out and says, I love you. I sent my son for you to die on a cross for your sins. 
and rose him from the dead so that you may have life and life abundantly, the abundant life, what is your response? And like an echo, we echo back, thank you. Our hearts say thank you. You've been good to us. We say thanks. Giving thanks to God. This is a part of our prayer is that we give thanks to God for what he's done and what he will do. It's a prayer of faith. Some of, some of us in our life, we need this occasion more than any other. This is, I, I would say, is the thing. It's the prayer to pray is a prayer of praise. It's the place. Not that we don't lament. Not that we don't petition. Not that we don't intercede. Right? Not that we don't confess. But this place of praise is what should be in, the, in our throats like a cough ready to come out. God, I thank you for today. Because you're near me. I didn't earn that. I have access to you. And you're for me. Every detail. And God, I need you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that. Come on. And so sometimes you'll pray one occasion of prayer and all of these occasions will come out. Oftentimes I'll pray and I'm petitioning for my needs. I'm interceding for someone else. I'm confessing sin. I'm lamenting about an area of my life that is suffering. I need God to do something. And I'm thanking God. I'm praising him. I'm bragging on his character. I do all of it. But I gave you this to equip you to say, hey, if you're looking for an occasion to pray throughout the day, Find one, find two of these, and you can, you can pray it. Hey, guys, one last thing before we do, before we break out, is uh, here's a way that you can apply this to your life. Really, really simple. I don't recommend doing all of these, but find one. Maybe do as a couple, but, uh, or if you're single, pick one of these and journey with us this week. Maybe for some of you, it's picking a time in the day, setting a time in your, a time in your life. When I taught high school for some years, I set a, an alarm for 1130 because that's when my break was in teaching in my block, and uh, I, I had it in it for 10 minutes to pray. And while my kids were out, I'm not going to play on Facebook or look at it. It's like, I'm going to pray, and I reminded myself. It's a great tool. Pick a time in the day that you know you're free. Set an alarm in your phone. I'm going to pray for one minute. One minute praise break. God, I thank you for today. Lord, feeling kind of guilty about that. God, I'm really, how long are you going to wait on that one, Lord? Uh, Father, I know you need it. You, you know everything I need. I love you. Amen. There you go. 30 seconds. But pick a time in the day. Set an alarm to get you just praying more than lay me down to sleep, Jesus' prayers. Here's something else you can do. Three times a day, do a breath prayer. There's a guy, a pastoral theologian. He does this with people on their deathbeds. This helps people formulate on their deathbeds. It's called a breath prayer. But this is a great thing to do is that you just state what you need for him and you thank him. It's simply whatever you call God. I tend to call God Father. So I'm like, Father, I need this. Thank you. That's sweet. That's a breath prayer. And maybe for you, just pick three times in the day. I'm going to breathe a breath prayer, whatever the day holds. Maybe do it in morning. First thing you wake up, at lunch, and then do it at night. Three breath prayers. But it's, again, what are we doing? We pray to cause awareness, right? Because prayer is an awareness. Next, read a psalm a day this week and pray the psalm out loud. This is what I do. In the mornings, I find, man, what am I feeling right now? Sometimes I feel really afraid in the morning. Sometimes I feel really anxious. Sometimes I'm envious of what I don't have. Sometimes I'm like self-pitying, oh, it was me. So what do I do? Part of my scripture reading in the morning is I open up a psalm, one of these psalms, because psalms are lined up with your emotions, and I pray that psalm out loud. I just read the verse, and I pray it. I say, God, I want that. That's how I feel. That's me. And typically, it'll lead to a conclusion that glorifies God and says, God, I do need you, and rest in that. It's a great way. These are all, if you ever feel something, read through a psalm and pray. And then lastly, 
pray for your spouse in their presence in the morning or at night every day this week. Try to do that if you're married. Take them by the hand. It can be 20 seconds. God bless her. Come on, it's a great way to end a fight if you're forced to pray for each other. It's really fun. Hey, will you stand to your feet with me tonight? Thank you all so much. I held you over by like four minutes. Let me pray for you really, really quick. I really hope that you got something out of tonight. And uh, take that worksheet home. Use it how you will. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, I pray that you would bless them. That, God, you would be with every single man and woman here tonight, God, that came here looking for you, looking for more. God, I thank you for that. That those who draw near to you, you draw near to them. You promise that, Father. So, Lord, I'm asking, would you draw near to their hearts? God, in the place of prayer, would you stir up an awareness in us, God, of how much access we have in you and how much we need you, God. Help us, Lord, to bring petitions to you. Help us, God, to intercede for others, Lord. Help us to confess our sin. Help us to lament and to hope in the face of despair. Help us, God, to praise you throughout the day. We want to be people who breathe, who are not spiritually hangry. We want to be people, Father, who walk in an awareness. Mm, Thank you for it, Lord. We want to live that abundant life. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.